Okay. Yep. Welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and what's going on in places around the world. My name is Nosa Yare, and today I have two guests. Uh, I have two young men with me, and we'll get into their background in a little bit. Um, but first, uh, let me ask Connor and Greg how the there is going so far. So where are you guys? How's the weather there? What's going on? What, what have you guys been up to so far today? Yeah, um, I, I'm here in the west side of Michigan in Fenville uh, on a little little getaway, uh, hanging out with one of my, one of my friends in, in their place. Um, the weather is absolutely beautiful. Great sunny day. Um, we'll be probably getting outside for a swim at the beach uh, after this. All right. Yeah. Nice. So you guys are like on a staycation kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And Greg is Greg somewhere else, right? I think. <laughs> yeah. Where are you, Greg? Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. I'm in. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, right now. It is. It is hot, but it is cloudy and muggy. But so I'm inside here in the nice air conditioning and ready to go. Nice, nice. Uh, and I'm recording from Denver. So thank you, Zoom, for making this happen from three different locations. I remember when I started the podcast, it was always a drag to get people to the studio. Like my first five or six episodes were in the studio. So it was just like a drag, but now we can do this thing. So shout out to Amina, by the way. Uh, Amina connected um, all three of us. Uh, and I think she was on a podcast episode earlier, I think like episode 20 or 21. So shout out to you. She'll probably... Uh, listen to this. Greg and Connor are fashion entrepreneurs and they own a fashion label called Staple Clothing. And it was pretty interesting uh, when I got to do a little bit of research about Staple Clothing. So like I've always said on the podcast, you know, our objective is to interact with people from different backgrounds, kind of like break those cultural barriers, you know, build bridges instead of uh, building fences between cultures and I've always said that the best way to connect cultures is through food and music, but apparently fashion is another way, and which is something these young men are doing right now. So they run a brand called Staple, and from what I understand, Staple, uh, its origins, it wants to find a way to bridge the cap and allow people to connect with each other all over the world. They currently manufacture a couple of cool fashion items out of Peru, and they have... Um, plans to spread to other places all over the world. So we'll get into Staple pretty soon. But first, let me talk to you guys about your respective backgrounds. Let me start with Greg. Greg, talk to me about growing up. Like, what was Greg like? Like, how many siblings did you have? Did you grow up in Boston? What were your summers like? And, you know, kind of like build a profile for us to, uh, how you got here, like starting a fashion brand. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in a smaller town outside of Boston, about 45 minutes outside of the city, and spent most of my childhood there until I was about 17 or 18. Most of, uh, I actually had no siblings, so I guess my best friends kind of throughout a lot of the early parts of life were my parents, and grew up um, just sort of traveling with them and um, being alongside them, so really, uh, really attribute a lot of a lot of what I've done back to them, so shout out mom and dad there. But um, in terms of things that I, I was always into, I, I really enjoyed... I mean, from a sports standpoint, I've swam for quite a bit of my life. I had the opportunity to sort of travel around Massachusetts and compete at all different levels, and I got to meet people from from all over the place there, and that was that was definitely really eye opening in terms of just being my probably my biggest area of social connection with people. 
Um, but I've always sort of had this this knack for for wanting to start something and wanting to wanted to do something that incorporated a lot of my different interests. And I've always been curious about other people. Um, definitely been curious about being able to see different areas. And um, I think that's sort of what sort of formed a lot of my a lot of my background and and things I've been interested in. I went to college at the University of Michigan and there I studied business and I really went there because of the the global focus and the ability to really do positive business and so I'd say that a lot of my my back my original growing up of just wanting to really start selling be a go-getter but also do it with other people and, and be able to bring people together was really what formed a lot of my education and wanting to start staple did you do a lot of traveling as a kid uh, outside the country or to other parts of the country yeah, I've been, I've been I've been around quite a bit. I've been able to I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel um, quite a few different places, and I'm really I'm really grateful for that. But uh, a lot of a lot of the places that I've been able to travel to have been for actually like one or one or two day stays, which has been really fun to sort of explore a city and see and see what it has to offer, and then and then be able to move on to somewhere else as well. Okay, cool, cool. How about you, Connor? Uh, what's uh, different about you? Did you grow up? Uh, how far away from Boston did you grow up? Uh, pretty pretty far as in Michigan. Uh, so so I so I was born in Chicago. Uh, moved moved to Michigan when I was pretty young. Both my parents worked in the automotive industry. So mom works at Ford. My dad works at a company called Arnie Automated Systems. Very manufacturing, you know, automotive. The whole the whole Detroit vibe. But um, yeah. I I mean I I grew up. I, I guess similar stuff. You know, playing sports, played basketball, football, lacrosse, wrestled. I kind of tried the gamut. Um, but I think. High school is definitely a really unique experience. I was in I was in this program called like the International Baccalaureate, which is like the Ivy program. They have it at schools all over the country, and I think that was a community that really opened my eyes up to, to tons of different things. Like, uh, I had a funny moment where, you know, like it was kind of like a, a deciding of values. You have these little moments in your life that kind of like shape your priorities. Like when you choose one thing over another. And I was we had we had a big lacrosse game coming up, and I don't know if my if my coaches know this, so if they're listening, hopefully they, they don't say much. But I've been practicing for a Bollywood dance routine for for the IASA show. Um, really? And it, yeah, and so I was I was in this Bollywood dance routine, and it turned out um, we had the game got rescheduled or something, and so the day of the performance was also the day of the game. So it was like this big high school musical moment. Yeah, I was gonna say that sounds like a Zac Efron story. <laughs> it sounds like the Zac Efron story, right? And so I had to like choose, like it was, and, it, and I look back on it, and I'm like, I chose, I chose the dance because I'm like, I this is, is I've, I put my, you know, I've, I've sweated on this for a while. I this is something I've never done before, and it's something that you know probably I, I won't have a ton of chances to do again. Uh, and I think that was a moment where I've been very like sports focused, like all all throughout high school. What type of sports, like lacrosse or what else? La- lacrosse, football, basketball. Um, lacrosse is the main one, you know, I was a face off guy. So I was like very into it. Um, but I also had a couple injuries which made it like harder to recruit. I had, I had a wrist and a shoulder injury. So it took me down a peg. Like I, I think not to, you know, it did just to sh- not to show off, but like I, I wasn't the best person definitely, but like I made it into the Adidas all-star game, uh, nice. when I was in high school. It, yeah. And so, and so like, but, but then I, I also realized that, you know, as a lot of people do, it's like not what I want to base my life around. And there's a lot of other stuff. So after that, I think, that was kind of the awakening where I'm like, you know, the, the exploration and like your podcast, like it's awesome. Like the bridges are just so important. And I kind of was, that's where I gained kind of the appreciation and recognize the importance for, for those bridges and wanting to you know build more of them in my life. 
Got it. I mean, that would be a cool story. The Adidas All-Star Game, if Staple ever gets to do a collaboration with Adidas. Uh, <laughs> That'd be crazy. Those jerseys would be insane. <laughs> but, but let me let me ask this. So you're fairly young, Colin, right? And these are two pretty young men. Like Colin, you're 20. Uh, Greg is 22. Um, when you grew up in Detroit or when you grew up in Michigan, um, so Michigan, I think over the last 10 years or so, so maybe when you were like 12 or when you were younger, they experienced like economic hardship. And I think uh, some cities had to declare bankruptcy and things like that. Did you have any sense of that growing up? Did you just remember things changing? Uh, both your parents worked in the automotive industry and I'm sure uh, maybe that, I'm not sure if their job were affected at any point, but did you feel your environment change through the economic depression in Michigan uh, while you were growing up? Oh, oh, totally. And I don't think I was aware of like all the circumstances until like now looking back on it. But like, yeah, I, I remember I, it was always weird because we were like one of the most frugal families I knew. Like I didn't, all my clothes were from garage sales until I think it was like late in middle school, early high school. Like I was wearing, you know, like used, used wedding tights. Like it was crazy. And, and my dad, my dad did. Yeah. My dad got laid off from Ford during, during the automotive crisis. I um, took a new job, uh, dur- still during the crisis, got laid off from that. Um, and he's a good, like, and, and he, he's now a company doing really, really well. He's, he's helped, you know, that company's growing really fast and he's done a lot of awesome stuff there. But I looked at, I, yeah, I, uh, for most of my life, I didn't realize that like, I didn't think I, it was crazy to me, but looking back, I'm like, we were incredibly frugal. Like, like we, you know, it was one of those, fans, and not that we were the only ones, but like, you know, the, the AC never on, you know, like just little stuff like that, that where I'd go over to my friend's houses that maybe weren't experiencing that. Like it was crazy to me that people were buying their clothes full price. And it's funny because now I'm running a, a fashion company, um, yeah. but, uh, but it was insane to me. Like, why are you buying your clothes new? You can get the same ones down the street for like, literally, like I was buying them for quarters. Uh, and so definitely felt that that hit. Um, but I think it's it's helped shape the way who I am and, and realize kind of like the, the essentials in life and not to get too caught up in, in the buying and, the, in the, and some of the materialism maybe. Yeah, most definitely. And you're going to need, you know, some of those uh, frugality lessons uh, when you're running your company, certainly when you're buying uh, raw materials and things like that. So both of you went to the University of Michigan, right? Um, But you both studied different things. So you weren't going to classes together or anything. So what was the first point at which your paths crossed? uh, Greg, you can answer that. Sure. Connor and I actually met by just a mutual association with a with a couple clubs at Michigan. We're, we're both part of a consulting group. I know the typical like business thing that you could do, but mm-hmm. we really sort of had a, I guess we got drawn close together just by bouncing ideas off of each other there. And we realized that the two of us had, uh, had a lot of things that we really, really agreed on, but had very different, very different approaches to many things we spoke about. And what, what, what year was this? Uh, was this your freshman year, sophomore year, junior? This was my junior year, but Connor's freshman year. And I think we met September of that year. And uh, we, we had the opportunity to sort of grow close through a couple of things we worked together on there. We actually were able to work for a, for a nonprofit together for a company that helps um, employ, employ p- people with disabilities out of Grand Rapids, Michigan for a, um, making uh, making dog biscuits out of spent grain and so we were able to work on sort of that nonprofit. Wait, making dog biscuits yeah do- dog biscuits yeah beers shout out shout out shout out beer city dog biscuits we can say the client name shout out shout out beer city uh awesome company so yeah we were able to grow pretty close together by working on that project together and just realized that i mean the two of us really really instantly meshed in sort of the ways that we work together as well as just some of the things that we have mutual interests in and i'd say that's probably where we we grew close connor and what was your first impression of Greg Connor? Because uh, when from my brief interaction from 
with both of you, it's kind of like yin and yang, right? Greg seems a little more reserved, like put together. Connor is like this, you know, uh, pseudo software dude kind of character. Like, what was your impression <laughs> of Greg when you first uh, met him, like your first few times? Yeah, it, it, and I, I, we talk about it all the time. We're, we're very, very polarized. Um, you know, Greg, I saw Greg as like the ultimate, like like the ultimate achiever. Like, like I don't know if, if he's actually, I, Greg, I'm pretty sure you're, are you valedictorian of Michigan? I'm pretty sure or something like, like he, he, he literally, and that's not even a joke. Like he, I saw him and I saw the things he was doing and his attitude towards things. And he's like, when he has an idea, he does it immediately. Like he would, and in conversation, you could tell, like he didn't find, he found things interesting that had action attached to them. Like I, I was always the person who could talk about, you know, things and just kind of be fine talking about these ideas and say, oh, these are cool philosophical conversations. But Greg was always the kind of guy to say like, let's do it then. Like, what are we waiting for? Like, let's get, let's get on it. Um, and I think his, his ability to push, that was something I really respected because I felt like I'm always a little bit slow, a little bit kind of more relaxed in the approach. Um, but he is, he gets right down to it and it was super, um, and and I really respect it. Yeah. That, that kind of reminds me of the relationship between Reed Hoffman and Peter Thiel in a way. Like, where do you get that from? I mean, you are an only child, but not a lot of undergraduates uh, who go to school, you know, think about things the way you think about things. Like I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, Greg, and I saw that, oh, you've done all these things and you just literally just graduated. I'm like, where did he get the time? Like a lot of people go to college and like, you know, just, you know, dive into the party scene, make friends, you know, just live kind of like a carefree life before they start. But you were, you seem pretty like deliberate about what you wanted to do and you even ended up in Bain. Like how'd that happen? Yeah, I'd say a lot of that probably goes back to being an only child in the beginning. A lot of times I found, I don't know, maybe just comfort or a little bit more introvertedness that then some people might have. So I found myself with a lot of time on my hands and I, I figured hmm, if I'm not going to be able to go out and necessarily spend as much time with people or have, I guess, like brothers and sisters that I could I guess suck up my time with. I I found myself just sort of at home implementing. I know that sounds sort of sort of boring and sort of crazy as something that could drive someone to feel like it's fun to just go do things and and make things happen. But I honestly get sincere satisfaction when I'm able to like put a checkbox on something or able to to sort of make the next big thing happen. So um, sort of throughout high school, I I found myself leading quite a few different organizations, led National Honor Society, led some fundraising things for student council, and just wanted to sort of make that continue to happen in college. So whenever I had opportunities, I think that my closest my closest friendships have really been formed through some sort of work or through some sort of um, activity. And I don't know, I'd say that my friend because my friends are so inter tied with the with the work I've been doing, they've just really helped motivate me to keep pushing forward and, and do and do more things. So I, I owe it a lot to them owe it a lot to the fact that I, I might have grown up a little bit more of an introvert than others. But it's definitely been a way that I've been able to find a lot of joy in life. Nice, nice. And let's talk about your business a little bit. Who, who came up with the name? Or let me not even say the name. Who came up with the concept? Why fashion? Like, none of you studied, like, anything relating to fashion. And besides, you know, Connor have a history of, you know, garage sales and things like that. Like, you guys weren't close to fashion. Like, you guys could have done anything. Like, why fashion? Who came up? Did you guys do some research and, and you know, pick that industry because you thought it was a soft landing? Or did you feel you had some people in your networks that'll give you some kind of competitive advantage? How'd that come about, choosing to go into fashion industry? 
Yeah, yeah. I guess I can take this one. Um, I I think fashion we just saw is like the the untapped medium. Like, and it was we like again. You know, you've said food and music are the best ways to bring people together, and that's we think that it and they totally are. Uh, and be, but it's also because a lot of those bridges are already formed, and so um, you know, like the the concept kind of originated in, in going to again we started with Peru, but that's also where the concept started. Um, going to going to Peru talking with talking with the artisans there and figuring out that uh um i i really don't think that there was any strong business advantage um you know greg and i we have we have no uh again like you said we have no experience we really we really didn't have a lot of background in the industry the main thing what we realized was like like a giant medium that was unexplored in terms of that cultural bridge that you talk about with your podcast you know food and music have been doing a great job in bringing people together but fashion wasn't and still isn't right, you know? And, and so a large part of that's because most of the clothes that we wear from the same set of countries, you know, they're from, it's not bad, you know, maybe it's not their fault, but it's, you know, the US, France, maybe Britain, Germany, Italy, Japan, China, you know, we, we get our clothing and our designs from a lot of these countries. So it's hard to really connect with the rest of the world if there's one medium that is totally dominated by a few select countries out of the hundreds of, of not only countries, probably you know the thousands of communities and cultures in the world and so fashion was we had terrible advantages in it we know nothing we're still learning but uh we saw it as just the place we had to go to make this mission a reality and and when we saw when we talked to the designers you know in peru we realized that they didn't even think you know they loved their designs of course but they didn't think they had potential for a global marketplace because no one had really shown interest but we knew from when we talked with our friends or when we brought clothing back, like everyone loved it. And we were like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that these designs even existed. Um, and, and so our, our goal was, you know, again, we don't have an advantage in fashion by any means, but but we see fashion as just an incredibly important space to make this happen in. And so we're going to be the people to do it uh, and, and to empower those designers. If someone does it better, power to them. Like we're open for it. Uh, you know, the mission, we wanted to see that mission evolved and, and to get better. Did you guys actually make a trip down to Peru to speak with the designers or it was like a virtual thing? Yeah, we actually went down to Peru and did this. Connor came to me with this, with this idea sometime in mid to late November, perhaps. And um, I mean, instantly, I, he's always sort of been someone who I've really valued as like the idea guy. I've always been someone that I thought could, could make things happen. So I said, sure, let's do it. And the first thing that I made happen was a trip to Peru. So Connor and I went down there in the end of January down to Lima. Why why Peru though? Why not any other country? So, sure. so oh go for it, go for it. Um no, you can take it. This is your story. This is this is your part here. <laughs> so so yeah, sorry. And the reason only reason why is just because a couple a couple of things. So I'd been to Peru two years earlier. Um so I'd seen the designs and I'd met people in the community. Um and so I knew that there are other communities that that obviously, you know, would have would have designs, would have would have amazing, amazing pieces of fashion and patterns, and but but I didn't know them as well. And so I'm like, I'm, I think the first place we should go is a place where I have you know connections, um, where we can where we know what to look for, where where I know the scene relatively well, or at least know people that know the scene. And so that was the main reason why it was just like it was the place we were best prepared for. It, with our, we had limited advantage, but that was our a, a small advantage we had going into Peru. Got it. And who came up with the name Staple? Like I would imagine that you know, given your mission of trying to you know, bridge cultures. Maybe you, you have like a unique name that has a combination of some 
some cultural names or, or, or whatever, but, but why, why staple? Who came up with that name? And how many other names did you guys scrap off before you settled on staple clothing? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll take this one as well. Uh, Greg can also probably attest to, to maybe the, some of the pushback in the name. Staple clothing was, we didn't want to just pick a certain like culture or, or language to describe in the name. And of course, English is picking that. Uh, so, so we understand that. But, you know, if, if we were to mix together five or so, we're still leaving people out, you know, so we didn't feel like that we could really mesh everything together well. But what we did want to believe is, is that bridge. So we saw it as a bridge, but also we saw it as what does a bridge do is it connects two places. It brings two places together. It, it makes them mean the middle and, and unite and, and kind of combine or, or at least form together in some way. And, you know, it may sound tacky a little bit, but that's what the staple was, was because we thought that the sta a staple were, was, was not just bringing people together, but kind of holding people by bringing that, that movement of unity, that movement of togetherness. And so staple for us recognize what was about, if we are the staple for the world, you know, we're not doing, we're not creating the fashion on the, for Peruvians, you know, we're not creating the market on the left side, but what we are trying to do is bring those places together. Um, uh, and yeah, so that's where that's where staple clothing comes from. And what were some of the names you thought about before you settled on staple? <laughs> I, I don't even remember, Greg. Do you remember any of the other? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We, we, the way that staple actually came about is it was just Connor's wallpaper was the word staple <laughs> on his phone for about three months, just sort of as he always thought about the company just being staple. And when we started thinking about what would be a more apt name for the company or how could we better brand what we're going to be doing. Just nothing. I mean, we were at a loss for even ideas because we had just sort of come so close to this word staple because like Connor said, it, it binds people together. That's what a staple innately does, but it's also like the staple piece of clothing for, for many like, communities. And we're helping bring that to the world as like the staple piece of clothing. So I think that, yes, we might've became a little attached to it, but we totally think it fits. Okay. Okay. I agree. I agree. And your business model is not totally, or not your exact business model, but like in the fashion industry, you know, your, your story kind of reminds me of Blake. Uh, what's his name? Blake Mikoski. Yeah. With, yeah. The Tom's guy. Cause he went to Ar Argentina and he had inspiration from there and he made Tom's shoes and, you know, he had the one for one model. You guys kind of like did that, but with Peru, you know, your origin story. We've had fashion companies in the past who have, try to you know toms with their one for one model um i think patagonia also with yvonne chernard uh he gives like 10 percent. he's a big environmentalist and stuff so we've had fashion brands in the past that try to have some social impact which is what you guys try to do but different companies approach it differently so tom say oh you know we buy one shoe we give uh, a shoe to an underprivileged child in a developing country. Uh, Patagonia says they donate part of their profit. Some people say, oh, they source for organic, ethical, sustainable raw materials. How are you guys achieving that social impact uh, cause? Besides, I know you know you are reaching out to giving opportunities to you know designers in all these countries, but is that the end goal? Is there something bigger coming or you just want to like economically empower some of these designers that might not necessarily have access to those opportunities? Yeah, go for it. Sure, I, th I think it definitely started with economic empowerment and just saying, how can we give access and how can we, how can we really help designers reach the rest of the world? But as Connor and I continue to think about how, how we wanted to do business, we always asked, how can we do more? 
how can we make more of an impact and and what's the way that we can really use business to be a driving force for change and so we actually have a lot of really um, I guess interesting different social impact things that we that we do with whether it be from a an operational standpoint or like a financial standpoint so financially we choose a cause in every every country or every community that we work with that's really local and pressing to that community so mm. for example in in peru we've been working and partnered with Pair, care peru uh, where they are right now working to use their money that they get from donations to give supplies to company uh, to com- to communities that are extra impacted by COVID-19 and get provisions out to those communities. So we've been donating 10% of all proceeds from our Peruvian collection down to, and, and the Lima Peru collection, more specifically down to Care Peru, where they've been able to really create change there. But with our masks, this is, I guess this might've been what made you think of the sort of Tom's-esque model with the, the buy one, donate one. We, uh, we worked with RTMHA Designs down in Lima, Peru to co-create these Peru-inspired face masks. And with each one that we sell, we're actually donating one down, down to Peru for, and, and communities in Lima and Cusco and the surrounding areas to donate one mask to those areas for everyone that are sold. Because right now, I mean, COVID-19 is a global epidemic. A lot of the things that we hear right now about it here in the United States are very centered to the United States. But down in, down in Peru right now, it's one of the highest death rate areas just due to lack of access to some of these supplies and lack of access to, to I mean, personal protective equipment. And that was something that when we were speaking with our, with our partner down at Arte Meche, her name is Ingrid, she just said, wow, it's, it's crazy down here. It's very, there, there's a lot going on in terms of, of COVID and no one really has the, the supplies they need. So it was very true and dear to us that we were able to sort of try to inspire some sort of change. And uh, that's where the, the mission with our face masks came. Hey, that's pretty interesting. You know, given that, you know, Staple is such a young company, I mean, less than six months old, the fact that you guys are already creating some kind of impact is, you know, laudable. And currently you guys have um, three products, correct? Yes. Want, want to talk about why you started with those three? Uh, did they have to do with the raw materials that were available or did you do some research to know what customers wanted or you just had like a personal instinct that, oh, you know, we think we should go with this, you know, what, what was the math and magic behind those three products? How much analytics was there to bring them into market? Or did you have like a gut feeling uh, to, to roll them out? I, I think it's both. I think it varied based on which ones. So for, for the, for the alpaca capuchas and then the Lino pants, which were the first products that we pushed out, it was largely just working with Ingrid. You know, we said like, uh, we, we realized that like, it doesn't make sense for us to completely, you know, like, understand like what is the most authentic thing to this community? You know, what, what's really going to be the most genuine representation uh, of their designs. And so we talk with Ingrid and then she kind of like lets us know, like here, here are the options. And then we work it down and say like, okay, how can we remain hundred percent authentic, but also have, you know, business viability in the United States so we can grow the business, grow the impact. Um, so that's what it was. So for the capucha and the Lino pants, we, we, we pretty much went to her and said, like, what do you think? what's authentic and what do you think would sell and we didn't change much you know we we adjusted the fit a little bit we we messed around with the strings and the tassels just to make sure that we we thought it would be you know again just just these minor changes that we thought would help it sell um but but not too much with those first products but but the mass was a lot more data oriented where we had just a large number of of proving designs that we'd worked with ingrid to create in our designers so you know like amina and shira we'd work with ingrid to come up with these designs these patterns and we would use, we would send out surveys and we just, you know, we throw out to, to all of our friends, say, what do you like? What do you not like? And we'd, we'd refine it, refine it, refine it. 
but but always keeping in mind like there were there were some colorways that we thought looked great that ingrid said that's not proving <laughs> and we we're like okay it's out it's in the trash um it, and so it is an art and a science and we're moving more towards the data oriented because we want to scale up the operations of course but at the end of the day without without that authenticity we, it's never going to go out the door we're never going to sell anything yeah, and the, the capuchas are pretty cool. Like the designs are pretty cool. You guys should consider, I don't know how much sales you do in Denver, but trust me, like I can see it right now with the, the, the average Denver person who goes like hiking four times a week and travels to Argentina every other summer will probably have a market for stuff like that here. Um, but let me ask this. So obviously both of you have some kind of background in nonprofit. You guys worked in that dog biscuit company in Michigan. I mean, Greg, you were a member of Net Impact. I guess, in University of Michigan, which is like a sustainability club and things like that. Are you full on business, a for-profit entity, or this is more like a social venture? And I asked that because some of the brands we mentioned earlier in the episodes, like Tom, they did eventually run into some problems and you know, found it difficult maintaining that social impact aspect. So um, have you guys made up your mind on what type of company you're going to be? Is it going to be, is this going to be a social impact team or this is going to be a responsible for-profit operation going into the future? Yeah, I think that the when Connor and I think about the vision for what staple clothing will be, we, we hope that the long-term vision will be that we could become a benefit corporation or a B Corp. Um, and the way that those operate is, I mean, technically, yes, it is a, still a for-profit business, but they have a very, a very vested and at the core and true to who they are social component. And that's something that I know will be just an unwavering commitment throughout any sort of growth or scaling that Staple Clothing does is we're always going to keep that social impact aspect very important to us because, I mean, with, without being able to help the communities in which we're helping co-create designs, I mean, we wouldn't be able to exist. Our whole goal is to be able to empower these different designers and be able to bring their designs out to the rest of the global marketplace and if we're not able to give back to the communities in which we're, we're partnering with, then I, I really don't think we'd be doing the due justice to and giving back to the people who have helped really create staple clothing. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about money. So, you know, when, you know, ventures like this start off, um, particularly ones where you have like foreign operations have to source materials or stuff from like China or Peru or whatever, you have to like build out a supply chain and you guys will probably find, you know, your Michigan, your University of Michigan uh, degree is useful in that supply chain aspect, I bet. But have you guys raised any money to date? What are the challenges in, or let me first ask that question. Have you guys raised any money to date? And this can be friends and family or, you know, uh, VC or any kind of thing like that. No, it's uh, completely bootstrapped at this point. Mm. Just uh, you know, funds that Greg and I have saved up from previous jobs and internships and things of that matter. So yeah, it's been, it's budget is tight, <laughs> but uh but, but uh, it, it helps make sure that, you know, you're, you're spending your money right. I don't think investment's out of the picture. Um, and we doubt, but we want to have a solid plan for it before we would pursue that. And like, what is it going to be used for? How are we breaking down? What are those, are, do we actually want that? Uh, still, definitely still further discussion, but, but at some point could, could see that as a possibility. And I asked that question, right, for the benefits of some of our listeners who are interested in, you know, starting some form of entrepreneurial venture, you know, in the future. You guys are such young guys. Uh, Greg just finished uh, uh, from uh, college. You're still in college, Connor. Like, how do you even start to approach something like that? Uh, I mean, and it's impressive that you guys have a go-to market. You have a product. You have a whole team. 
and you have, you know, some systems in place to, you know, obtain the product and deliver the product and keep records, I would imagine, and things like that. But when it comes to raising money, and that's all bootstrap, like, what are your thoughts around where to start? Do you like start from your alumni network? Do you go family and friends? Because it's a benefit corporation, do you, you know, go all out for donations? What, what, what's your thought process currently in raising money? Yeah. Um, I, I can take this. I, I think, I think for right now, Connor and I are, are going to continue to, to be, I guess, cost conscious for other operations parts of the business. I'd say the one part where we don't really cut any corners would be on the either paying designers um, fair, fair United States wages, regardless of where they are in the world or on the donation side. But um, I, I'd say for the, for the time being, we'll probably continue to bootstrap it, continue to self-fund. If it does get to a point where we do need to perhaps tap into external sources of funding, I'd imagine we'd likely try to start with maybe a friends and family round, um, try to keep things decently local before before expanding pretty far. But I'd say that right now we're we're pretty committed to trying to use a lot of the proceeds from the business to just reinvest into the business. Connor and I don't take a salary. We don't take any distributions from the business. And it's just because we see we see growth and we, we don't see is this to be a thing where we can make a, a quick buck. And that's not really what we want it to be. We want to be able to grow this so it can be a global force and become a, a brand that people know, recognize, and has a mission behind it. So I'd say that right now we're going to continue to fund within our means as we can and just use every dollar that comes into the business, either for donation or, or future growth. Yeah. And if I, if I could add on just like with investment, just for me, the listeners, like, especially with, with the pro social, like if we're trying to do good and investor largely they're for like, let's say VC for some VCs there, it's not, it doesn't make, make them bad, but like their objective is to make money. And so, and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, that's totally not a bad thing, but um, that's, I think something we're also very conscious about is like when you take investment, now you're not, you know, you're not just responsible for the mission, you're responsible for your share, shareholders and, and who are you, you know, helping make some money in this investment. So I think that's why we've been reluctant to, to take money and to really look into that to this point is because the mission comes first versus um, kind of just like the, the, the profit side uh, of the business. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, and when you guys went to Peru, did you face any kind of resistance? I mean, I know that Connor had a relationship with some of uh, the local Peruvians and the designers there. Uh, making the clothes, but you have, like, how do I explain it? And this is me talking from an international perspective, right? I, I I wasn't born here. I just moved here like three years ago or whatever. And there tends to be this, let's call it American complex where, you know, um, and, and I think I, I read this somewhere for, I've forgotten the brand for someone who wanted to start like a Japanese cosmetic line and she went to Japan I went to, you know, interact with all these geishas and, you know, all these Japanese people and they didn't really buy it. They were like, what are you trying to do again? Okay, we'll sell you stuff. But like, you know, what's with all this, you know, connecting cultures and things like that? Like, does how are you able to sell that concept to local Peruvians? Do they have any inputs and did they buy into the overall objective of Staple? Yeah, Um, I'd say that there is a factor of that where, where... I, I think like, again, you know, maybe it's from past relations, but, or, or just kind of like, again, people have different perspe- perspectives of, of other places. But I think at first it was difficult because they, they didn't see what we were doing as like a possibility. Like it, it didn't make, I don't think it was a pushback. Like, like kind of like you said, it wasn't like, no, it was just like, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like people would want it. They literally, it was crazy. Like they don't think that people wanted to like 
like see see their their designs like on a global scale um and and so what what you know once we got when you know once we explained that like there are people in the united states and and we were sure you know in the world that really care about what you're doing they really care about these designs and not just you making them the authenticity the history and that was i think the selling point when we we just it's like people care and once because i had i had you know brought some proving clothing back for me my first trip and I was wearing it and I had shown like, like, look, like this is a real thing that can happen. That was when I think we got them to realize like, oh my gosh, like, you know, their fear sometimes is like they're, they're neglected in the, in the fashion space. They're not getting their, their ideas out there to the world, which is frustrating. And so once we kind of went over that and said, we can, we're not going to be the only people to help, but like, hopefully we can help a little bit in getting those ideas out to the rest of the world. That was when we had them and, and, and we, that is when they kind of became part of the families. Like we're going to do this together. Um, so yeah, I, we never had too tough of a time once once we got that message across. They're they, they're amazing people. Amazing. You know, one thing I like about you guys is like your confidence is so like infectious. And you know, at such a young age too, like it's really impressive. And you know, uh, like I wish I, I you know I did something back in my day, but maybe I should have done more uh, with where you guys are. How do you? And this is a question for both of you. How do you build that confidence at such a young age? Because you have an idea. How do you iterate an idea from your head and actually have the courage? Do you look for validation from friends? Just like you said, Connor, do you do your research? Do you have just innate confidence in yourself based on your previous track record that, oh, I've done stuff before. I can as well do this. Like, what what are those little steps that lend to your confidence? Because what you guys want to achieve is, going to be difficult like in future because most fashion companies concentrate their supply chain in countries like Vietnam or China you know it's for a reason so they can aggregate and make their costs as low as possible before they export it but you guys kind of want to be like decentralized where every culture and every country is lending to the system and you know kind of like have all these nodes everywhere so how how you know asking a question again for both of you how do you build your confidence to achieve something like that do you have rituals do you have mentors do you rely on past experiences just for the benefit of our listeners i can start off here um i'm really happy it comes across that we have this together and that we're confident because um two hours from now i'll be on the phone with connor saying we have no clue what we're doing but um no in, in all honesty i think that a lot of a lot of the way that we're able to to sort of make this happen from, from a young age or without a ton of previous experiences is drive grit, but also just a lot of really great, um, a lot of really great friends and systems along the way. So I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit more. I think that Connor is one of the most visionary, creative people I know, and I think that I mean he, he might tell you that I'm, I tend to be someone that just gets stuff done. And I think that when you put those two things together, we both recognize that it's sort of an unstoppable force. You said yin and yang, yin and yang, yang a little bit, but I, I think that that's honestly. That's honestly true, where if you have someone that has ideas and someone that really likes implementing and putting the, I guess, the pedal to the metal and making it happen, then then you can really achieve greatness. So I think that whenever I were to get maybe freaked out about something or saying like, oh my gosh, we have a big day ahead of us or a big week ahead of us, it, al- it always comes back to that same roots of, I know that we have a team that's going to make it happen. I know that at the end of the day, um, if one of us were to falter, we're, we're going to pick the other one up and help them pull back to it because I mean at the end of the day I think it really helps that Connor and I started as friends and then became business partners rather than the other way around because we know that we have each other's backs and we'll be able to to make it happen from a I guess from a a mentor standpoint I mean 
I, I was able to talk with one of my logistics professors in college. Um, his name is Debjeet Roy, and uh, just about logistics and how how to really Im import things from international areas and how to how to make sure that you're you're shipping in the right manner. And I'd say that's one of the areas that I had the least experience. Connor and I have done quite a few different smaller business projects where we've been able to help companies um, with, with their current pro current problems, or we've had quite a bit of different classes where we've learned to sort of the fundamentals of how to run a business. But I, I'd say that the area that I had no real experience and Connor had no experience was how do we actually fulfill a supply chain or something like that. And I'd say that being able to sort of bounce ideas off of him and understand the, the nitty gritty there is he's been an incredible resource and someone that's helped us along the way. But I, I hate to bring it back to the whole Michigan thing, but the team, the team, the team, and I, I fully believe it. And I know that whenever something gets rough, um, I'll have Connor and anyone else that's working with us there, there along my side. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think the team working with Greg is a, is an incredible experience. I mean, he, again, gets things done and, and he doesn't give himself credit on the, on the creativity and the, and the vision side. He has that in spades too, but yeah, yeah, he, he, I, I think working with Greg is, it builds the confidence. And since Greg touched on that, again, I agree with everything he said, maybe to talk about the confidence and the mission and the idea that I, I think with any big idea or anything that, you know, isn't, isn't done. Uh, the, the people around you that, that really do care for you kind of have the idea that, well, if it hasn't been done before, um, then how are you guys going to do it? <laughs> or, or, or why hasn't it been, if it hasn't been done before, there's probably a reason. And maybe some of those things are, are, you know, valid, but also then with, with that perspective, no innovation ever occurs. And so when you look at entrepreneurs and you look at the people that are leading the tech space or, or the startup space, and they're constantly preaching, like, if people disagree with you, like that's almost a good thing. Like if people tell you that this is a bad idea, you know, to an extent, um, this can be a great idea because that means there's a reason why people haven't done it before, but it can still have potential. And so the confidence in the mission comes from, and, and if, if the mission can see, the business can, can, can succeed. Uh, the confidence in the mission comes from, we know that there's a need for this. Like when, you know, as much as like we can pull out stats about globalization and the spread of you know food and music and that you know like fashion maybe the, the next medium, the biggest tell is that you know we talk with the designers and we see their faces light up when we say like look at these people in America wearing your stuff, and or or the, and we talk with them and they're and they're you know so full of joy uh, at the prospect of them sh sharing their ideas and culture and we talk with our customers and they're. I mean, their, their disbelief that they can have access and they can connect with this culture that they never thought they could, at least through fashion. And, and those are the things I think you got to hold on to very tightly that can help act as the shield um, against maybe the naysayers, but also the self-doubt that can creep in when you're doing something that largely is going to be a, an uphill battle. Um, so I think that's, I, I think, where the confidence comes from on a, on a company basis. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. And, and very, very true answers there on both sides. Have you guys thought about like, you know, when you have a startup, uh, which I consider staple to be like in a, such a crowded space like fashion, um, this might be too early to think about things like this, but we already have companies looking into the future. So when some companies come, you know, you spoke about innovation just a few seconds ago, like they try to look into the future. You know what? We're Amazon. This is 1994. We're selling books. There, there's borders. There's whatever bookstore there is. But this is how we're gonna differentiate and look into the future and do things different. This is how we're gonna innovate. Like we have companies like Walmart already utilizing like blockchain in their supply chain uh, areas. We have 
companies like Lululemon, I think they bought like Mirror like a couple of weeks ago and they're already looking at wearable clothes where you wear like a shirt and maybe to tell you like your heart rate or something like again it might be too early and maybe you you guys might not want to give out too many trade secrets on a public forum like this but is that something you've thought about like when you have all these giant companies that are doing fast fashion like zara and all these people how to give yourself an edge uh being a company that just started a few months ago yeah greg maybe you can take this one sure so i'd say that our our biggest edge is our our desire to sort of challenge the the fashion industry status quo, and I think that if you if you can't, I don't want to say if you can't. This is very business school to say, but like if you can't compete, differentiate, right? Um, so if we're, if we're not in the market of just, I mean, we don't want fast fashion. We don't want to be the brand that's just cranking out things at, at cheap costs and getting the biggest market share. I think that the biggest thing that's really driving our success and the reason why we have now people starting to follow us and really inquire about the mission is is the fact that it's the mission's totally different. If there, if there were to be a new a new term for fast fashion, I'd say that slow fashion is exactly what we want to be. No, to be to be honest with you, we we started at the roots of wanting to empower people and and make the world a little bit smaller through fashion. And I think that all too many times there there's this focus on I guess either the bottom line or trying to just get as much market share in the fashion space. And I think that Connor and I want to think differently and want to do it differently, and really focus on rather than I mean. We said something early on that I mean we don't take a salary and we don't really want to think about the bottom line right now. And I think that if we think of our bottom line as how much impact we're able to make, that's what the difference is going to be, and that's what sets us apart from perhaps the rest of the the fashion industry. So, in regards to saying how will you compete in the fashion industry, I'm not sure if right now if we would define ourselves in the fashion industry. I mean we're a fashion company, but maybe we're in an industry of of some sort of change and empowerment. Nice. What's your biggest pain point? The question for both of you: like what keeps you up at night? About the business that you prefer, you know, can be solved as quick as possible. Is it supply chain? Is it finance? Is it uh, human resources? Or what, what? What is it at the moment? I, I think it's I think it's breaking through kind of like the preconceptions about what we're doing. Um, you know, like culture, like cultural fashion has a perception, and it has and it has rightfully so a very a very bumpy history. You know, like when we look at like where you know seeing like the old like native american halloween costumes and like and, and unfortunately like that's where we get thrown into sometimes is like like the, the the cultural appropriation bucket is the biggest thing that we're that we're trying to get get over and and it's crazy to us because again you know we'll go we'll go to peru and we'll talk with the designers and they're and they're so hype about so enthusiastic about the mission um but then there there will always be people that that just the idea of you know again they'll you know eat chinese food or they'll you know, listen to music from all over the country, all over the world. But with fashion, they have this idea in their mind that, you know, if it's not a, I'm not, I'm only allowed to wear a t-shirt uh, with, you know, Aeropostale on it uh, or, or something, you know, something similar. And so. Or how, but how are you combating, how are you combating some of that feedback though? Like, are you just yeah. ignoring or are you taking your time to educate people about what you're doing exactly? Oh, totally education. You know, like it's not something we should fight and it's not their fault for, and they're coming from a good place. Totally. Um, but, but the part of the, the impact of that is that's also what's causing the shutout. So it also, you know, if people are only, you know, feel comfortable buying clothes from a, a select few countries, that's also why every other country in the planet may not have that access. And so what we're trying to do is educate to show them that the people that the people in these countries want you to buy, want you to work with their designs. They want you to wear them. They want you to empower them. You know, people don't wear, people don't design fashion for them not to be worn. Uh, you know, these designers want to get their designs out there. If you were a, you know, like, and 
we're trying to get people to see that. And so what we're doing right now is we're, we're working and getting media with our designers, like conducting interviews, putting those out there so that we our, our followers and everyone can see like, Oh my gosh, wait, no, like, cause we see these stories all the time. And so for us, it was like, we, we had seen all this stuff and we kind of forgot that no one else had this view into the, to the fashion world, you know, in Peru and, and Yemen, which is, which is very stupid on our part, you know, but so we want to show that we want to show what these designers, what these communities are thinking and feeling, but also working with academics in the space to define the problems. You know, we're, we're interviewing professors from, from UC Davis, Kent State, U Cincinnati design schools or, or, or culture and fashion studies to, to help get some credibility behind the problem on our platforms about what, about what this neglect for these fashion spaces looks like and how we're helping to actually combat that. Um, so th- that I think is the, the biggest problem. And, you know, kudos to that, but I hope the education is both ways because, you know, totally. um, education is not just about staple telling people that, hey, people make clothes to be worn, but I hope uh, you both as founders take the time to also immerse yourself in whatever culture and understand the background and the history between, you know, behind some of these clothes and the way they are worn and the way they are made. So you can communicate that properly and clearly to whoever buying your clothes. Because I think of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge hip hop fan and I grew up on hip hop. So I think about brands like Crystal and Timbaland. And, you know, when some of those brands started getting, I won't say co-opted, they, they started getting patronized by the hip hop community. And we have the CEO of Crystal saying some certain things in the news, in the magazines, and the CEO of Timberland also was in hot water. So, you know, I don't want to see you guys make that mistake. Okay. It's not one-sided. And certainly as the company grows bigger and bigger, you might have less time to do that. So it might make sense for one of you to take like a month out of the year at different times to just immerse yourself in the culture, what you're getting into, you know. Uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, education, I agree. So Greg, what keeps you up at night? I think what keeps me up at night is that, I mean, obviously right now, I'd love to be able to talk to every customer that receives a piece of staple clothing or talk to every customer or every person that looks at one of our Instagram posts or comes to our website and really understand uh, what what they think about the brand or, or what feedback they have for us. And I think that I mean, Connor will tell you this all the time that he's like, Greg, think big picture sometimes because I'm always trying to do a million things and do it in a way that might not be sustainable. So I'd say that the thing that might keep me up at night is just the inability to really do every single little thing um, with every single customer every single time. Obviously, I'd love to be able to, but I need to figure out perhaps uh, systems that can work for us and and how to make it efficient exactly. So um, it keeps me up a little bit that I'm not able to have that direct first person insight into some of these things all the time. But you know, um, I think we're starting to really come come forth with some ways to to, to make the business work work with us rather than uh, rather than having to do every single thing like that. Are there any tools you guys currently use or you know anticipate using in the future that can help reduce some of the tension that comes about some of that stuff that keeps you off at night? So with Connor, with perception, um, obviously you know in communicating I'm, I'm sure you use like your social media your website things like that but is there anything else and with Greg with you know knowing the thought process of the customer do you use like CRM like what are the tools and this is a question just for the benefit of people who are also listening you know that can actually go there and sign up for these tools and download these things to help their life easier in you know either perception or relating with customers yeah uh, I, I guess I'll go first uh, I, I think you touched on a lot of them. It's, you know, like the, the website, the Instagram, but also like podcasts like these where it's like we get to tell the story and we get to actually say what we're doing, get the full message out there, which may not be visible if you, you know, look at or completely full in depth if you look at our Instagram bio for a second. Um, 
But then it's also, I think, finding figures of authority in, in, in the industry or whatever you're doing. Like for us, and like you said, like education is super important to us. You know, we don't pretend to know about Peruvian culture more than people who are in Peru. And so like we go and we talk with them and we try our best to learn. And with fashion, we're doing the same thing. We, we t- reach out to people in the industry that are working in general fashion, people working in cultural fashion, just try to learn as much as possible. And so I think advice out there for, for anyone is like, if an idea sounds very ambitious or if a problem sounds very difficult to crack, maybe that's because you just don't have the information or the expertise bringing in people that have had years or, or decades of, of expertise on the topic. It can be a super easy solution for them. And so making sure that you're not pigeonholing yourself to just try and work on this by yourself, that they said the network is your net worth. And, and of course, you know, everyone, everyone knows the importance, but people sometimes don't utilize a, a giant network that they have. And even ones are creating some way for the ones for the problems that they need. So I think a big thing for us has been those people that have been helping us out. Got it. Greg? I guess mine are going to sound a lot more operationally focused than encounters, uh, <laughs> yeah. but Jira. we, um, yeah, we, we, we started using, um, a couple, a couple things that have really, really helped us out. I'd say from a, from just a sales and getting to customer standpoint, we've started using Shopify, um, as our major like e-commerce provider and having everything centralized with our website, our, our shipping, our customer relationship management, all on one platform has been has been really big for us and made made everything really nice. We have dashboards I can pull up my iPad, phone, and be able to even talk and talk with customers versus via online chat from anywhere in the world. And I think that that right there has really helped us um, connect with customers through uh, things like that chat or through our our new loyalty program that we that we launched, Stable Clothing Rewards, as well as our um, our review section on our website. So we're we're getting more and more touch points with customers every single day, uh, and a lot of that's been powered by Shopify. Um, a couple of the things that I think Connor and I learned early on that have been working really well for us just from a, uh, being able to connect with customers is, I mean, it, whenever you receive a box from Staple Clothing, there's there's a note in there that tells you what your purchase is supporting. And that helps us nice. really have that extra connection with customers. So you know that... The, is, it hand, is it handwritten or typed? It, it is currently typed as, as it we is keep currently scaling. typed. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you know there, there are actually services that you can, you know, type a message and they'll send you like a hundred or a thousand handwritten messages. So maybe you guys want to look into that. I don't know how expensive it is. And I know you guys are on the budget, but you know, a handwritten note conveys like, uh, you know, I can, I can charge you guys. I can send an invoice for consulting later. <laughs> as, as long as the service doesn't copy my handwriting, then we're going to be fine. And then, then maybe we can <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not sure about Connor writing those notes, but no. Um, <laughs> Why are they being, in crayon? <laughs> being able to, being able to connect with customers that way and show them what their purchase is supporting is just another way that we're able to make a larger business or a bit growing business feel smaller and feel more, I guess, intimate on a, on a customer and a customer level. Um, I guess internally, you ask for things that, that we do to sort of manage our manage our time or manage our processes. We do everything on on Jira and Confluence and Trello. It's a project. Jira, yeah, J I R A. Mm-hmm. It's a project management software where we're able to sort of categorize the different things that we're working on and then um, move them as they progress and put time estimates and how much time we put on things. So it really helps us stay on top of our tasks and the things that we need to get done for the business in a given week. Got it. Well, I appreciate you guys, you know, for coming on the podcast. I know you guys are stressed for time. The The life of an entrepreneur is never ending. You guys get no sleep. Uh, but, you know, before we go, like tell our listeners, where can they get, um, you know, your items and what they expect to get? Yeah. So if you, if you want to check this out, go to staple-clothing.com. 
staple-clothing.com. Um, you can Google us. We, we're usually at the bottom of the first page or top of the second page. Uh, um, we're, we're working on the SEO, but you can get masks right now that can support disadvantaged Peruvian communities. And these masks are beautiful, incredibly high quality. I, I seriously think that not only is they supporting the mission, but some of the best masks you can find right now on the internet. Um, and so we have, we have the mask, the alpaca blend capuchas, which is a, a, a hoodie type uh, piece of apparel that is made out of an alpaca wool blend, incredibly comfortable and soft. And then our Lino pants, which have recently sold out, unfortunately, but we will, if you subscribe to our email list, uh, we will let you know when those pants are back in stock, beautiful, colorful linen pants, but just come check out our website and our Instagram. It's yeah. On Instagram, it's staple underscore clothing. And then online it's staple dash clothing. And to, to thank all of you for really having us on here today, we, we've created a, a discount code for anyone from the culture class podcast. Um, and that would just be in all caps, culture class, one word. And uh, you can use that on our website for 15% off your, uh, any purchase that you want to make from staple clothing. Yep. And, uh, they have also been kind enough to give away five masks. So five customers can use the go the code free mask CC on staple dash clothing.com to also get free masks. It's limited to five people. And, uh, I think, uh, shipping and handling are excluded, but you get the mask free. So. And we'll also donate one in your name if you do get one of the free masks. Yep. Yep. Well, I want to appreciate you guys for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's always amazing talking, talking to young, ambitious uh, individuals. And I wish you guys the best. We'll continue to follow your progress. I mean, this was how Bonobos was started. This was how Tom's was started. This was how Fashion Nova was started. You know, and, and they all went on to be really, really large companies. So I have no doubt in my mind from interacting with you guys now that like you guys don't even have a full team, just two of you. And, and your thought process, it, it seems pretty much covered how much more when you get the capacity to hire more brilliant minds. So I see you guys going really far with this. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to make some kind of impact in the world uh, with your B Corp. And Culture Class Podcast will always be there to support you. Oh my, hey, thank you. It means a lot. Thank you, everyone at Culture Class. Um, and thank you for having us on. This has been awesome. Yes, thank you very much. Most definitely. And you guys want to check out Culture Class Podcast. It's cultureclasspodcast.com. We might have a blog post there uh, about staple clothing, like a follow-on story. So watch out for that. Let us know what you think on social media and reach out to Connor and Greg and support your business. All right, guys. Till next time. Stay safe. And what they say in the movies. And scene. And scene. And scene. And <laughs> <laughs>